Hey community, welcome to our sermon podcast for wanderers, seekers, and thinkers, for deconstructing and reconstructing. This is a feed of Open Door Church, a faith community focused on God's love and grace, a progressive church built around action, community, and people. Enjoy this week's message and check back often as we're posting new content every week. Our question is, are we thinking about ourselves in terms of exiles? And what does it mean to be exile? And so we've been exploring the biblical text on exile, and, and it's actually a very significant theme throughout the Bible. Uh, we, could, we could argue, in fact, that the entire Bible... I'm not going to sell this too hard since we're talking about salesmanship. We could argue that the entire Bible is a story about how you respond to exile or how God responds to exile. Because we have, we have this major theme in the Hebrew text in the Old Testament where, where people are taken into exile and, and God speaks to them there. Uh, prophets speak there and about exile and about how God works in the world, but there's this story of hope from the midst of exile. And when they return home, they're still telling that story of hope. And when things go poorly, they continue to tell this story of hope. And when you move into the New Testament, Jesus is an answer, arguably, to the story of exile in other ways. And and the early church talks about their own lives and their own faith and their own story in terms of being in exile, in a, in a land that is not theirs, in a uh, this world is not my home kind of way. That's language that's throughout the early church. And, uh, and so consistently, we are, we are seeing themes of exile throughout the biblical texts. And, uh, and so we've been talking about exile. Can we take this story of exile and think about it in our own lives? So what's interesting about that is that, of course, the early church lives in a time period where there's persecution of, uh, of, of the church, persecution of, uh, both, uh, Jewish and Christian alike, uh, seeing the world seeing them essentially as atheists in their land that they live in. Uh, they, the practice that they, they believe the world and God functions in a certain way, that, that is all done as a, as a subversive practice in a world that is telling them, no, the world looks like this. It's governed by this ruler and, uh, and none of that has to do with the God that you're talking about here. And so this is their context. But very quickly, relatively speaking, the world has this major shift in, in paradigm. We move from, uh, Christianity as being this, uh, subversive underside of the culture that is a, is a, a revolutionary idea and concept to, uh, to the dominant story, the dominant narrative, the, um, oh, you remember our friend wins a great battle, says, if, if God's God and I win this battle, then I'll, I'll convert and the whole kingdom will become Christian. 
And so all of a sudden, Christianity gains that power and that control, maybe which they sought, maybe not, but it overturns the idea of what does it mean to be Christian and faithful to God. And the question of exile slowly fades away in the midst of Christian nations. Does that sound right? So now, and this is why we started this with where are we now, now we've been telling this story for hundreds of years that Christianity is supposed to be in charge, that we're supposed to assert our theology and our belief of the world and our faith on others as much as possible. And, uh, and so we live in this place now where we're looking around the world and, and science... You take that however you want. Science, uh, other religions, a global uh, economy and a global uh, view of the world, uh, seeing people from around the world and hearing perspectives and faith traditions and suffering and seeing the world work in a broader way changes how we think about who is God and are we actually the ones in charge that get to tell people how the world works. So we're consistently now asking back to exile, asking, are we in a place of exile now that we don't get to tell our story in the same way we have the last several hundred years? That's how we start. In the story of the Hebrew text, we have a kingdom and we have a covenant. You see, God uh, made a covenant with this people. And as you read the covenant, depending on where you look and what you're looking for, as you read the covenant, uh, it essentially says, as God, I will provide you these things. As my people, you will respond by living this way. And as long as we're both doing that, as long as you're doing that, I will continue to provide these things for you. Uh, it's, it's written very contractually, as in, this is what you do, this is what I do, until you break that, and then I stop doing this, right? I'm not going to do that today, but we have, there are some alternative views on that, I'll say, okay? But this is the theology. Ezekiel, we've been looking at Ezekiel and his theology. This is his theology. God has told us God is going to be with us in the temple, present, in the box, remember? God is going to be with us. God is going to protect us. God is going to create the space for this land God has given to us. God is the provider, and we need to respond by following the commands that he's given. That's Ezekiel's plain and simple theology. God is doing this for us. We respond for the, in this way. But Ezekiel is looking at it from a different place, and he's seeing the world, the kingdom of Judah, fail to live up to its agreement, fail to live up to the contract. And over and over, and, and again, uh, this community lives in constant threat. To the north, you have Assyria. To the south, you have Egypt. You have constant control all around you, powers that are so much greater that they just 
live and pray and trust God that everything's going to be fine because at any point, a change in political direction can wipe them out, which is what happened. 722, Assyria comes in, takes over, uh, uh, takes over the northern kingdom. Judah and Jerusalem are left until Babylon changes their mind, comes, takes over Assyria. Babylon then comes into Judah, and this is our moment of exile, right? Uh, and then removes. I'm recapping for those of you that were here the last couple of weeks. I'm recapping for those of you that weren't. Uh, removes the people from their land. Not all of them, some of them. Not all of them, some of them. We take the the local leaders, we take the religious leaders, we take the wealthy people, and we move them to a new place. And there is evidence, and we have, we, well, we have records of them being in different places, but most, mostly we're talking about they moved them to Babylon, uh, although they moved them all over. And it, and it, what it does is it pacifies a community from uprising. If you think um, that that you might have an uprising from a community after you've taken them over and destroyed their temple and really upset some people, you just move some people around and they don't have any centralization. They don't have any uh, way to organize cleanly anymore and the people that would be organizing are now gone. So you've pacified a community to give you better control over the land. Political unrest. Um, so that's what's happened in this, in this moment. Ezekiel responds with a theology. Look, you knew this was coming. I've been telling you that it was coming. And guess what? God has used Babylon. Okay, let's hear the language. God has used Babylon to come and take over as a direct consequence of your actions. So, yes, we're in exile. Yes, this is terrible, but guess what? You kind of did it to yourself, and I gave you opportunities. I told you, turn around, and everything will be fine, and you didn't, and here we are. So now we turn to this question of, one, that's not, this is what we did last week. That's not the only way that we can respond to exile. Uh, secondly, now that you're in exile, how do you respond? What's, what's the direction? What's the movement? What do you do next? How do you hold out hope? You see, in this moment, and we talk about paradigm shifts uh, from being the sort of underside of society or the marginalized in society to being the dominant culture in a society, the paradigm shifts that happen when you believe that the whole world is working properly, God is on your side, God is, God is taking care of you, and all of the sudden you find yourself in a foreign land at the mercy of whatever they feel and do, and their gods are now in charge, you find yourself with a, asking all of those big questions. And this is how it's, I think, most directly related, because we find ourselves asking all of those big questions right now. How is God in charge if suffering looks like this? Is God all-powerful? 
does God work in the ways of taking care of people that are suffering? Those huge questions, sorry to just unleash that here, because I'm not going to answer anything. Those huge questions are what's happening in this moment of exile. Everything is turned over, and they are asking themselves, does God actually have the power to do what God has told us is going to be done? Does God actually care enough to do? If God has the power, does God care enough? Is God actually punishing us? What what is the scenario right now? It leaves all these big questions, and, and you find yourself in a moment of pure survival. And that's, that's where Ezekiel really, really leaves us, in this moment of, uh, of, yes, this is caused by us. Yes, we need to make some changes. Uh, but yes, there is reason to hope for God to come and, and return and restore Jeremiah is in a similar theological headspace. We made a covenant. We broke a covenant. God's using Babylon to correct and punish. But what Jeremiah sees in the landscape, political and religious landscape around, is that, and Ezekiel echoes this, is an idea that a group of prophets telling them, everything's fine. Settle in. Everything's fine. God's going to fix this. No need to worry. Uh, it's just a little mishap, and God's going to fix it. And he says, essentially, these prophets are lying, are failing to tell you the truth so that you can just sort of be at peace with things. It's an effort to... Uh, to, uh, to, to pacify people and to, uh, and to basically say, you haven't done anything, nothing needs correction, everything is okay. So this is his letter. We're going to look at Jeremiah 29. You remember Jeremiah 29? You probably remember one verse out of 29, right? Because it's on like every... Christian Bible bookmark. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for you to prosper and not be harmed. Right? Familiar? But there's an important piece to this that we miss when we reduce it to one verse of 2911. So let's back up a few verses. Uh, verse 1, these are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining uh, elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You hear the theology? To all the exiles whom I have sent, God speaking, from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is where it gets really uh, controversial. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. 
Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek... I'm going to pause for dramatic effect. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You see, they're being told, put your borders up, hunker down, and just wait because God's going to fix this. You don't need to engage anything. You don't need to do anything. Just wait. And what we have a tendency to do when we think we're in exile is we begin building relationships that prevent us from engaging those on the outside. So if you think about this like a church, okay, just for a moment. If a church comes together and has worship, comes back together the next night to study, comes back together the next night to pray, uh, sees the outside world as dangerous and secular and vile and things that we should not be a part of, we begin limiting those that we reach out to or live with in our world. And our entire world becomes what's inside. And it's done to protect ourselves feel very tall right now. It's done to protect ourselves from the outside world. If you are moved in exile, you will, I think, the natural response is you have a small community of people around you that speak your language, that know your God, that worship the way you worship, that understand the world and politics the way that you understand them, you naturally will congregate to those. But the next step of that is you begin preserving those traditions. You begin preserving the world around you so that you are not influenced by anyone outside of your small, now tight-knit walled-in community. Uh, many of you know I grew up uh, in a very conservative church uh, at a, in a very conservative community, city, state, country. You get it. Um, so let me tell you about how many of my days, because I was just walking through, you get together, uh, Sunday morning, church. Sunday evening, church. Uh, at least Wednesday evening, church. Thursday, Bible study. Friday, meal with church. Sunday, church. Sunday evening, church. Okay? But let me add in one extra layer there because my school was informally connected to my church. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday was also with my church. Now we have two perspectives on this. You hole up in your community 
and you live out and you, you try to live your faith without interacting with the secular world so that you can stay morally and faithfully pure to God, or uh, you go stand on the street corners and tell God about, tell people about God. Tell God about people. I think some of them do that too. Um, so you can see that in that experience, for the first 18 years of my life, where my entire world is literally encapsulated by these few thousand people with the same perspective and same views and same thoughts about the way the world works. When I walked out of that bubble, things got really difficult really fast. This is how we think about being in a world that is not ours, being in a place that does not belong to us. And Jeremiah has a different message. He says, listen, people are telling, and the next of the letter, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. They're telling you you're going home. I'm telling you, go live in the community that you are in. Seek its welfare. Engage the people that you are with. Plant gardens, which take time. It's not a momentary, I'm just here eating canned food until I can open the bunker again. It takes time. I don't think they had canned food. It takes time to build those things. And Jeremiah is saying, engage the world. Go live in it. I, it's hard to put words in his mouth, but the subtext of, uh, of take wives and have sons and daughters, I believe it's fair to read into that, that uh, not only just have children and, and live your lives to the fullest, but, but engage the community in that deeper sense. So historically, the tradition is that you don't marry outside, but the idea of taking wives and, and, uh, giving your daughters a marriage, forgive the, um, yeah. And the idea of, of give your daughters in marriage, it, it suggests a broader engagement with the world around them. Again, it's hard to read in, in between the lines there, but, but I think that's, that's a fair suggestion. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you. There is hope built into this story. It is not a simple, you're in exile, deal with it. It is, you're in exile, but that doesn't stop you from living and being and engaging the world around you. And we have a, a notion that our job is to be separate but equal, or not. 
separate and above. You get my point. We have this notion that we're supposed to be separated. In fact, I have, maybe not anymore, uh, a retreat t-shirt from the church, said church, uh, that has like four boxes and like I think they're like four black boxes and a white box and it says like, <laughs> sep- like it's like separate from the world and that's our call. And Jeremiah says, no, that's not who you're supposed to be. That's not who God has called you to be. Go and live and be Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city from where you come. Seek the welfare of the city from where you come. Go engage the world. Subversively, if we can come back to this idea of living in exile and both engaging the community but also offering that community something different. We have other narratives from our biblical text that are telling stories in this moment. Small controversy. Genesis 1 is likely written, okay? You can take this or leave it. Likely written from exile. So think about the notion of living in a land and them telling you this is how the world came into being. This is how God or God's work in the world. This is what politics looks like. And saying and, and speaking the language of Genesis 1-1 where God is in control and God brings order to chaos and God speaks and things just happen because that is the God that we know and love. That is a engage the world, be in the world, and tell your story in a subversive kind of way. A nod to the street preacher. I don't think that's what Jeremiah is intending. Uh, My barber, I almost didn't go back because I can't get away from the conversation of what do you do. It comes up no matter what and people want to share. And he tells me about going on the streets to tell people about Jesus. And I just, I just have to sort of, I can make it through 20 minutes. He's a good guy. I like going to him. I like the shop, everything. So I just, I push back when I have a small chance to push back, but I don't want to, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so he, he wants to tell me about, about, you know, just, you know, living our faith and, and going to preach on the streets and, uh, and, uh, and, and I, and I want to listen to his experiences and, and where he's coming from. But I don't think that that's what Jeremiah has in mind when he says, uh, when he says, go and be a part of the community. Engage the world. It is seek the welfare of the city. Get involved. 
leave your boundaries of your community. That is the world that Jeremiah is speaking. And so as we think about the options for how are we going to uh, respond to exile, are we in exile? Are we, are we uh, returning to exile? Uh, what are those paradigm shifts? As we ask those questions, how is it that we engage the world from a place of exile? And that's what I, I just want to leave you with that sort of, how do we engage the world from a place of exile? Next week, we're going to move a little bit into hope and what's coming and how do we think about hope in a place of exile. But in this, in this world where, where I think it's fair to talk about how the church fits in, we have to be asking ourselves, how are we going to engage our community as we survive in a place of exile? Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Open Door Church. Our intro and outro music was created by Lee Rosevere and is used under a Creative Commons by Attribution license. Have a great week. Ask the hard questions and explore God's love. Everyone is always welcome to join the journey with us at Open Door. Learn more at opendoorfamily.ca. That's opendoorfamily.ca.